Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Matthew chapter 6, if you would please. Matthew's Gospel chapter 6. We are talking about successful prayer or developing a successful prayer life. I believe learning how to pray is more important to our lives than a good education. And I say that because without the ability to reach heaven in times of need, our good education may not do us much good. When you know how to reach heaven and you know how to get God involved in your life and get yourself involved with God's will for your life, then praise God, you will know that at any time of need, He'll be there for you to touch you, to change you, to heal you, to deliver you, to set you free. It's more important that we learn how to pray and reach heaven and enlist the help of God in our lives than anything else. And I believe we should take seriously what Jesus said in Luke 18, 1, when he said, men ought always to pray and faint not. We need to learn how to pray and how to pray effectively so that we can experience the best that God has for us in this life. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, verses 6 through 13 are the verses that we've been looking at in this particular study. I want to just quickly review to you since we didn't teach on this subject last week because of our healing services some of the things that we said before. And you'll notice in verse 6, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. And the first thing that we said about successful prayer was to find a private secret place where you can meet alone with God, where you can practice the presence of God, practice being in the presence of God, and in that place of His presence, you gain confidence and assurance in your prayer life. It's important that we do that for ourselves. No one else can do that for you. It may be in your house somewhere, it may be in your backyard somewhere, or maybe you like to take a ride by a lake somewhere and get out of your car, sit on a park bench somewhere and overlook the lake and just get alone with God and say, Father, I'm here just to meet with you today. It doesn't matter where the place is, just so long as there is a place. Secondly, it's important to know that Jesus said, when you pray, be certain that you begin and end your prayer with worship and praise. Look at verse 9. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. In other words, begin your prayer with praise and worship of God. Always put God first. Sometimes there's a tendency to put the emphasis on our problem and not on the person of God. Always emphasize the person of God. He is the one to whom you are directing your prayer. 
And so you glorify him and magnify him and worship him and honor him. And it doesn't take long to do that. But you will soon begin to develop an awareness of his presence and an assurance in your heart that he hears and answers your prayer. The third thing he said that we are to do is to ascertain the will of God before we pray. Prayer is joining forces together with God on earth to accomplish His purposes or to carry out His will. It's not our will, but it's His will that is to be done in all of our lives. So it's essential that I ascertain the will of God before I pray. If we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. See, I know He hears me because I'm asking according to His will. And the next question is, well, how do I discover the will of God in prayer? Well, I discover the will of God by going to the Word of God and finding out the promises of God. And when I know His promises and statements of fact from the Word of God, then I know it's His will. For example, He's not willing that any man should perish. He is willing that all men are saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That is the will of God. So as long as I pray along that line, I'm praying within the will of God. If I don't know what the will of God is, then that should be the object of my praying, to find out the will of God, discover the will of God. Get before him and say, Father, I don't know what your will is in this situation. So therefore, I am praying to ascertain your will. I need to know what your will is for my life or what your will is in this situation. What shall I do? What road shall I take? How should I respond? Whatever the case may be, find out what his will is for your life and then pray and you will be successful. The fourth thing that Jesus said is essential is daily contact. It is important that we recognize the need to meet with God daily. Give us this day our daily bread. Our daily portion of what? Of your wisdom, of your knowledge, of your understanding, of your power, of your ability, of your resources. Whatever it is, that we need to accomplish the will of God, we are to go to Him daily and ask Him for those things. Or I believe I receive the anointing of God to carry out a purpose. I believe I receive the ability of God, the wisdom of God, the resources of heaven, the finances that I need. Whatever it is, we can go to Him daily in prayer. And Jesus made that very clear. The Father wants our daily fellowship. He wants us to be in daily contact with Him. And it's more important that we learn to get into the habit of daily contact with heaven and with the Father than anything else that we do throughout the course of a day. That habit is the best habit we can develop in our lives. Somebody say amen. amen. Without a doubt, it really is. And then, number five, we are to maintain a pure heart. And I want you to see this here. He said in verse 10, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And then in verse 11, give, verse 12 rather, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now remember, this is a model prayer. This is not a prayer that we pray over and over and over and over again in repetition. This is a model prayer. This is instructing us how to develop a successful prayer life. And here, it is essential, Jesus said, that we maintain a pure heart at all times. 
We all want to be mountain movers. We all want to be effective in getting our needs met. We all want to experience the power of the living God. We want God's hand to be at work in our lives. We want to see signs and we want to see miracles and demonstrations of God's glorious power. We want those things to manifest in us and through us. Well, we've got to follow the teachings of our Lord if we so desire to have those things in our lives. And here he says, you have got to maintain a pure heart if you want to see God at work in your life. And he talks about forgiveness. He talks about forgiving people. He talks about the fact that we can have any unclean thing in our hearts and expect to get an answer to prayer or expect to be effective in our prayer lives. And so what he is saying to us is this. If you're not being effective in prayer, search your heart and find out if there's anything at all that is hindering the effectiveness of your prayer life. Turn with me, if you would, please, to the book of Psalms, Psalm 66 and verse 18, and we'll share with you a few things that hinder effectiveness in prayer. In Psalm 66 and verse 18, the psalmist here in verse 18 says this, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Now that's as clear as it can possibly be made. Amen? It can't be made any clearer than that. I can't have iniquity in my heart and expect God to give attention to my prayer. I have got to have a pure heart before going to His throne and asking Him to meet a need or to do something in my life. And very often what we fail to do is search our hearts and find out if there is a hindrance there, if there is a blockage there, if there is something that is stopping the communication lines between the Father and us from being open. David understood this fact. He understood this truth. He committed sin with Bathsheba and went on with his life as if everything was okay because he finally married her and had a child. Nathan the prophet came to him and said, you think everything is all right with your soul, don't you? You think because you made everything right by marrying Bathsheba, everything is okay, don't you? And then he went on to prophesy over him and shared with him how his heart was not right with God. And because his heart was not right with God, his walk with God suffered. He was not experiencing the intimacy of fellowship that he once experienced with the Father as a result of the iniquity that was in his life. And it's amazing to think that somebody who is called a man after God's own heart could possibly be so insensitive to the fact that he was not right in his heart toward God. And if you'll read Psalm 51 over thoroughly, you'll discover after Nathan pointed out his transgression and his iniquity, he was touched by the power of God. He was driven to his knees. And finally, out of his spirit, he cried out, Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. He recognized that his heart was not right toward God. He had deceived himself. And once he got it right, praise God, 
then things turned around. But look at the next verse. But verily God hath heard me, he hath attended to the voice of my prayer. Why? Because I got the sin out or I got the hindrance out. Whatever it was that was interfering with my effectiveness in prayer, I got rid of it and the Lord heard me. Verse 20, blessed be God, which hath not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. Beloved, we expect God to hear and answer our prayers, don't we? We absolutely do. And if we're not being effective, then search your heart and find out if there's anything there that's hindering your effectiveness in prayer. Another thing, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 59. In Isaiah chapter 59. And verse 1, these are just simple, basic truths revealing to us the importance of maintaining a pure heart with God and seeing to it that before we go to Him in prayer, we search our hearts to make sure there's nothing there that would hinder our effectiveness in prayer. Verse 1 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither His ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. And so you see, once again, if there is something that hinders our effectiveness in prayer, the thing to do is to get it out. Get it out. Get it out of our hearts. Get it out of our lives. If there's something that God has been dealing with us about, then we have got to respond to him and say, okay, I've got to get rid of this from my life. I've got to eliminate this from my life. If I want to keep that lines of communication open, if I want to develop a successful prayer life, then I must maintain a pure heart before God. Now, here's something else. In 1 Peter chapter 3, a powerful truth, but sometimes very much overlooked. Prayers go unanswered. Results are not coming because of certain things that hinder our effectiveness in prayer. And these are just some areas. And by no means are we pointing out anyone here and saying, well, this is what you're doing wrong. We're just teaching on the subject to let us know that these are things that can hinder us from being effective in prayer. And what's the thing to do once we discover these things? Deal with them and get them out of our lives. Amen? Okay? 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of God. Why? That your prayers be not what? Hindered. That your prayers be not what? Hindered. See, husbands and wives need to dwell together according to the knowledge of the plan of God set forth in the beginning and revealed to us in the New Testament. And it's important that we take our place under God and do what God would have us to do. Why? That our prayers be not hindered, that we are more effective in our prayer lives. So we need to be careful as to how we treat our wives and how we live with our wives. Do we consider them as heirs together with us in the gra- of the grace of life? See? If we'll do that and honor God by doing that, then praise God, we become more effective in our prayer lives. Our prayers will not be hindered. 
These are just some things. Look at James. Since you're close by, look at the book of James in chapter 4 and verse 1. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? You lust and have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet ye have not. Why? Because ye ask not. Well, I guess that's a hindrance to prayer right there. If you don't ask, you're not going to receive, are you? But look at the next verse. You ask and receive not. Why? Because you ask amiss. You know, we can teach a week on that verse right there. You ask and receive not. You ask but receive not. Why? Because you ask amiss. You ask with improper motives. You ask for wrong reasons. You ask improperly, maybe without proper knowledge. But your asking, he is saying here, is improper. It is amiss. And therefore, because it's amiss, he said, you receive not. Somebody say amen. amen. See, when you teach along these lines, I know people don't get excited because no one wants to, to get excited about a problem or something that they're doing wrong. But in reality, we should because if we find an area that we're missing the mark, we should correct it. Why? So that we can have a better prayer life, so that we can have more success in getting our prayers answered. If we ignore it and just allow it to remain in our lives, we are not going to be effective and we're not going to get our prayers answered like we should. Beloved, if prayer is asking God to do something, then receiving is the answer to prayer. And if I'm not receiving something from God, there is a problem. There exists a problem because he said all the promises of God are yea and amen as far as God is concerned through Jesus Christ. And so if we're having problems or difficulties in being effective in prayer, we need to search our hearts and find out the reasons why. It could very well be that we just have a lack of knowledge when it comes to receiving from God, learning how to receive from God by faith. You're asking, but you're not asking in faith. You say, can that be true? Absolutely. Look, at back, look back in James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally. Isn't asking God prayer? Absolutely. Let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. Now, what is another impurity in the heart that prevents our effectiveness in prayer? Unbelief. Unbelief needs to be dealt with in all of our lives. And the way we deal with that is through sound teaching. Remember in Nazareth, there Jesus could do no mighty works, save lay his hands on a few sickly folk with minor ailments and heal them. And he marveled at their unbelief, it says. And so he went about their cities and villages teaching them. Why? Because he knew that through teaching them, he would deal with their unbelief. And so we've got to get unbelief out of the heart. We've got to get wrong motives out of the heart. Sometimes people ask for wrong reasons. We've got to get that out of the heart. And you know, sometimes those things are very subtle and very hard to, to identify. I remember telling someone one time the reason why I felt as though that they were, at least one reason, I should say at least one reason why they weren't being effective in getting their prayer answered was because they were asking for the wrong reason. The reason why they wanted to be healed was so that they could do something. 
and not because Jesus bore their sickness and carried their pain. And I said, see, your reason for wanting to be healed has got to be correct. Not so that you can do this or not so that you can do that, but because Jesus died on Calvary's cross for you. He suffered for you. And that should be the main reason why you want to receive your healing. And so that you can serve Him and live for Him. That should be the main reason why you want to to receive your healing from the Lord. It's not so that I can go off and do my own thing. And so there comes a time that we've got to, to get refocused, search our hearts, and then change on the inside and say, that's right. My goodness, if, if I expect God to display and demonstrate His healing power on my behalf, I should want to consecrate my life to His service. Somebody say amen out there. Isn't that true? I should want to consecrate my life to His service, not so that I can go about doing my own thing. See, we've got to think like God thinks, and His thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and His ways are higher than our ways. If we want to be successful, then we've got to get serious with making adjustments in our hearts and lives that, that will help us overcome the hindrances that prevent our effectiveness in prayer. Look at Mark's Gospel, chapter 11. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 11, we have the great faith scriptures, Mark eleven twenty two, Mark eleven twenty three, and Mark eleven twenty four. And in those verses, Jesus tells us about having faith that removes mountains. He talks about prayer and he talks about how we can believe we receive and we shall have if we ask the father for anything but in verses 25 and 26 once again he talks about the fact that if we expect to be effective we have got to maintain purity of heart our heart motives have to be correct we've got to maintain a heart that's full of forgiveness compassion and great love for humanity look at the verse verse 25 and when you stand praying, forgive. Isn't that what our main text said? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And when you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against any. And I want to define anything for you. It means anything. Just in case you didn't know that. Anything at all. If you have anything against anyone then forgive that person before you pray that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. So if there is unforgiveness and we're not receiving forgiveness from God because of our unforgiveness, didn't He say, I will not hear your prayer? If you hold anything in your heart, if there are wrong motives, if there's unforgiveness inside your heart, then you're not going to be effective in what? Removing mountains, effective in prayer, getting your prayers answered, signs, wonders, and miracles, and getting our needs met. And that's why Jesus made it very clear to all of us that we cannot have an unforgiving spirit. Because if we have an unforgiving spirit and we begin to pray, our prayer will not be accepted at the throne of God. Our prayer will not be accepted at the throne of God because we're praying out of an unforgiving spirit or we're praying for wrong motives, wrong attitudes, wrong desires. It's not our will that's to be done. It's the Father's will that's to be done. And we're to seek His will in all things, to get our hearts right toward Him, find out what His will is for our lives and then go to Him in prayer. And if we'll do that, 
if we'll love people, if we'll forgive all people, then I believe we'll have a successful prayer life. Beloved, Jesus set the example, if you recall. You're you're close by. Go to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 18, if you would, please. Jesus set the example. If there was anyone, anywhere, who we could say was one who could hold bitterness in his heart, Jesus would have qualified above anybody else. Everything they did to him was an injustice. He wronged no man, yet men wronged him. Judas, his own disciple, betrayed him. The Jews, his own people, he came to and they rejected him. Even his own disciples, after his arrest, Peter denied him and the others ran from him in confusion and fear. Jesus was all alone. He was falsely accused. He was brought before Pilate, falsely accused. I mean, and the list goes on and on and on. For every good thing he did, he was criticized. He was mocked. In some cases, they wanted to kill him. They accused him as far as healing on the Sabbath goes. So you think about all those things. Jesus had everything imaginable come his way and there could have been a great temptation for him to hold unforgiveness in his heart towards someone, especially Judas. I mean, he took him under his wings. He trained him. He allowed him to partake of his own power and glory in healing the sick, casting out devils. Judas had a part of that ministry. Isn't that true? And so what did he get for it? Judas turned his back on him. Judas betrayed him. And see, we get upset because somebody did something against us. Well, what about all that they did against Jesus? And see, Jesus is our example, and he's the one that taught forgiveness. And look at Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall, shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him till seven times? And boy, he was just chomping at the bit because somebody was on the six and a half time. And he was waiting to get that, yeah, yes, yeah, Peter, you're doing well. Seven times, you go at him. You get him. Till seven times, Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. And if you put that together with other scriptures, you find out that Jesus said 490 times a day, if someone sins against you, if your brother trespasses against you, then you are to forgive that person if they ask you 490 times a day. Now, I don't even know about you, but even in a marital relationship, I still think that would be difficult to do 490 times a day. Let's think, you're sleeping about six, seven, eight hours, something like that. You, he goes to work or she goes to work and all that. And by the time you get together, I don't know, 490 times in one day, that's a lot of times for somebody to wrong you, wouldn't you say? So I venture to say that what Jesus was saying, maintain a forgiving spirit. Think about it. Jesus, uh, Judas betrayed him. He, uh, he went before Pilate. He was accused falsely by all the elders of Israel. He was rejected of men. And the list goes on and on. He forgave everybody. He forgave everybody. He forgives all men. He set the example. And in his dying breath, he said, Father, forgive them all, for they know not what they do. Did he not? That's exactly what he did. And so what did he do? He set an example for all of us. There isn't anything 
anyone can do to any one of us that we should hold in our hearts and allow bitterness to spring up and defile us. And he went on to teach that. He taught the, the little parable here about someone wrongs you is like a $15 debt. Right? $15 debt compared to what you owed God. You owed God the $15 million debt and someone owes you a $15 debt. God forgave you the $15 million debt. You better forgive that $15 debt. Isn't that true? To keep your heart pure. There's no time to be bitter. There's no time to be unforgiving. There is no time in your life in any possible way to hold anything in your heart against anyone, no matter how awful it is. Look at Hebrews, if you would, please, in chapter 4. You see, if you hold anything in your heart, God is not going to hear your prayer. God is not going to listen to what you have to say. And he said that he will not. And if God said he will not, then he will not. So now what we need to understand then is this. If that's true, then we need to know how to approach the Father in prayer. You see, beloved, here is where people get confused. People think that if they call themselves a worm in the dust, and someone who is not worthy of the Father's attention, not worthy for the Father to hear and answer their prayer, then God is going to see them as being some humble person and God's going to answer their prayer or hear what they have to say. But that's not the approach that we have to God either. That's not the right way. That may seem humble, but it's not. It's a false sense of humility. In the book of Hebrews in chapter 4, we have outlined for us our approach to God. You know, every single one of us has the right to enter into the holiest place of God's presence. We can live our lives in the holy of holies. That's where prayer is successful. When you and I learn how to get into the very presence of the living God, when we sit around the throne of God with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost, and our hearts are pure. You see, we're there because our hearts are pure. There's no admixture of evil on the inside of us. We're not there for selfish motives. We are not there for greed. We are not there with bitterness, you know, lurking somewhere in our, in, our, in our innermost parts or unforgiveness lodging itself somewhere deep on the inside of us. We are there because we've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are there by virtue of His life, not because we've attained some degree of any perfection in our lives, but because of His degree of perfection. And so I'm not acknowledging anything other than Jesus Christ and Him crucified and I accepted His blood. See, I approach the Father. He gives me access to the holiest presence of the Father because of His life, not because of my life. And no matter what I've done or anyone has done to me, it can all be placed under the blood and remitted and tossed into the sea of forgetfulness forever. And I can go to God and I can expect an audience with Him and I can actually hang around the throne and live there. Look at these verses. Verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was, all, was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore... What's that therefore, therefore? You've heard me say many times, find out what it's there for. If there's a therefore there, what's it there for? Let us therefore, because of the life of Christ, because Jesus Christ is at the Father's right hand for us, representing us before the Father, 
Therefore, let us, by virtue of his life, by virtue of his shed blood, by virtue of his purity, by virtue of his holiness, by virtue of his righteousness, let us therefore come not as a worm, not as a beggar, not as unworthy. Look at the word. Let us therefore come boldly. Boldly. Everybody say boldly. See, how can I go boldly? Even if I had something in my heart, I go to the Father and I say, Father God, I'm wrong, I'm wrong, I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I should have never done it. I never should have held that in me. I should not have been bitter. I should not have been unforgiving. I should not have been short. I should not have been rude, crude, unmannerly. And you name all the things you were. And you can say, Father, but I'm not coming based on my life. I have no merit of my own upon which to base any answer to my prayer. No merit whatsoever. There is no merit in my life that, that enables me to, to have an audience with you. And so I come by virtue of the life of Jesus Christ. I come by virtue of his shed blood for me, and I come boldly. You know, you can go boldly even when you've missed the mark because you know he never missed the mark. And you can say, Father, I come boldly to your presence asking your forgiveness. I release all those that have wronged me. I forgive them. I'll not hold anything against them. And how many of you know that bitterness does not hurt the other person? Bitterness hurts me. If I have bitterness, it springs up in me and defiles me. It defiles nobody else. It hurts me and it eats at me like a canker or like a cancer. And so I go to the Father and I say, by virtue of the blood of Jesus, I'm coming into your holiest presence. And I thank you for what? Obtain what? Obtain mercy. You come to his throne of grace that we may obtain what? Everybody say mercy. Mercy. See, mercy is not getting what I deserve. Mercy is not getting what I deserve. I may deserve punished. But I don't get punished because even though I deserve it, somebody shed his blood for me. Somebody paid the price for me. Somebody lived a perfect life for me. And so by virtue of his life, I go to the Father. I don't go as a worm. I don't go as a beggar. I go boldly because of Jesus. I go with understanding and knowledge that I can approach the Father's throne and I can have an audience with him because I get mercy. I don't deserve it, but I get it. I'm getting something I don't deserve, but I get it because Jesus did it for me. And so as I acknowledge that Jesus did it for me, oh, the mercy of God just begins to fall on me. It rises up inside of me. The mercy of God, His tender mercies are all over me and my heart then becomes pure. Oh, thank God for mercy. Oh, thank God then for grace. I obtain mercy and then what do I find? Grace to help. Grace is God's operational power. It's His ability unleashed on my behalf. It's the power of God in my life. So you see, it's nothing that I have. It's something that God has that I get from God the Father through Jesus Christ. So now His mercy's on me. Thank God. I have an approach to the Father's presence through the blood of Christ and, and say, Father, be merciful unto me. I've wronged you. I've done wrong or whatever. Have your mercy extended unto me and I get mercy. God forgives me. I am cleansed. And now my heart is what? Pure before the Father. And now that my heart is pure before the Father, I can stand in His presence and I can say, Father God, I know you hear me. I know you're listening to me. I can now act in faith. I can now step out in faith and believe that God is hearing me because my heart is pure and my motives are pure before God and my attitude is correct before God. And God the Father is going to listen to what I have to say. I know that. I'm not looking at what I see. I'm looking at what I don't see. I may not see that, but I know it in my, in my heart. And I know it's real because the Word of God says it. And so I'm now in His presence. 
That's where prayer is effective. That's where we get results, sitting around the throne of God. You see why I said take time to find a secret place and in that secret place get alone with God and, and realize His presence, act as if He's right there, a living being talking with you, walking with you and sharing with you and then just begin to discuss with Him whatever it is, the plan of the day, uh, the petition of your heart, after you have addressed Him in worship and praise and just talk things over with Him. And you get used to doing that and you know what? It becomes very natural. Just like a little child running into his, his, his mother or father's arms and sitting down on their lap and just saying, I love you. I want to talk with you. What should I do today? What, what should I say today? Where should I go today? Whatever it may be. There's an audience that you have with your parent and you begin to talk and share and fellowship and that's what prayer is all about. And when I know my heart is pure, you know what? I know I have an audience with the Father. But I know if my heart condemns me, when I try to walk into His presence, I have something tugging at my soul. Amen? You know that as well as I do. Now, I want us to, if we can, conclude this by going back to, to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, please, and look at the next part of this instruction that God gave us through Jesus about prayer and being successful and effective in our prayer lives. He said for us to do this. And we need to take heed because this is essential to all of our lives. After he said, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And with what measure, by what measure we forgive, shall we be forgiven? You don't have room in your heart for unforgiveness or bitterness, I'm telling you right now. Not at all. No room in your heart. Then he goes on to say, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Or we could say it like this, lead us out of temptation and deliver us from evil. Every one of us is going to face temptation and every one of us is going to face the snares of Satan in this life. And we are to be mindful of that every single day of our lives and of our need to go to the Father and say, Father, I realize as long as I'm in this earth, every single day I face temptation and the snares of evil and evil forces. I recognize that. And so there is a need in my life to look to you to do what? To lead me out of temptation and also deliver me from the snares of the evil one. And so I'm, I'm coming into your presence. I acknowledge that. And you said in Psalm 91 that you will protect me from the snare of the fowler and from the noise and pestilence. You'll cover me with your feathers and under your wings will I trust. You told me in your word no evil will befall me nor any plague come nigh my dwelling. You told me in Galatians that it's your will to deliver me from the evils of this present age. And so, Father God, I'm coming into your presence and I'm looking to you to lead me out of temptation. You said every temptation has a way of escape and I'm looking to you for that guidance. I'm looking to you for that direction. I'm looking for you to you for the way out. And as far as evil is concerned, I believe that your hand is upon me and upon mine, my children in my household to protect us in all that we do and in everywhere that we go. That's exactly what Jesus said. I want you to look at this verse of Scripture in the book of Matthew. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26, if you would, please. Matthew 26. This is when Jesus was going to the, gar going to the cross, and before His arrest, He was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and He made a statement that is important to all of our lives. In Matthew 26, and let's look at verse... 40 or 39 and he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed saying everybody say Jesus prayed 
Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto his disciples and findeth them asleep and saith unto Peter, What could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray. Why? That you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. He came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. And if you look at other references, you find out, you know, he, he prayed and began to sweat as if it were drops of blood. How many of you remember that statement that Luke records? So he prayed, he prayed in his hour of temptation. He knew he would face temptation. He knew he would face the forces of evil, the snares of Satan. And before he was ushered into all that temptation and all those snares of evil, he prayed and prayed so fervently that angels finally came and had to minister unto him after he had concluded his praying. Jesus said, Watch ye and pray that you enter not into temptation. So that's what he said. Lead us not into temptation. In other words, pray to the Father. Be aware of your need to, to escape temptation and pray to the Father that you would be delivered from the evil snares of Satan in this life. Isn't that what Jesus said? Now listen carefully. Jesus prayed effectively and Jesus was successful. He succeeded in prayer. And you know what? When he faced Pilate, when he stood before the Sanhedrin, when he faced his accusers, he never once faltered. He never once, once gave in to temptation. He was not once snared by the evil one and he not one time gave in to the strategies of the enemy, did he? And why was he successful? Because he prayed and was effective in his prayer. He found the way out. He received from the Father what he needed to overcome the temptations of the hour. But now, that's not the part I wanted you to get. The second part is, he told his disciples, notice, and Peter, and Peter. What? Could you not watch and pray with me one hour? Pray. Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You're going to be challenged in life. There'll be challenges. There'll be snares. There'll be temptations. There'll be strategies of the evil one to try to destroy your life. So listen carefully. Watch and pray. Make this a part of your daily prayer life that you look to the Father for His hand of protection upon you and yours. You know what? They didn't. They fell asleep. And you know, when their hour came, they ran confused, they ran away afraid, and Peter denied Christ three times. Did you hear that? Didn't he? I wonder if that would have been the same scenario had they watched and prayed. I wonder if things would have been different had they watched and prayed rather than slept. And let me illustrate that to you. What he's actually saying to us in, these, in this particular verse is that we need to understand our need to seek the face of God daily so that he can help guide the steps that we take in life and protect us from the evil snares of Satan. It is better for us to spend the time in prayer to avert the trouble 
than it is to get into the trouble and then expect to go to God in prayer at that time to get us out of the trouble. I want a heartier amen to that statement. It is better for us to pray in advance to avert trouble, to be protected from trouble, than to wait till we get into trouble and then try to pray as hard as we can to get God to rescue us out of the trouble. And that reminds me of this woman who understood this and she gave herself devotedly to God in prayer and as she always did, she prayed for her children every morning before they went off to school and she prayed particularly for her one son who was about to go off to school and as she prayed for him, she said, I had a sense of alarm in me. It was like a signal going off saying, danger, danger, danger. And so I prayed and I prayed and I waited before the Lord until I got a release in my spirit like a song in my heart and a calm came about me and I knew that everything was okay. My son came home from school that day and ran up to me and said, I was crossing the street and as I was crossing the street, a car was coming so fast down the road that as I was about to step into its path, the wind from the car picked me up and threw me out on the road away now you know as well as I do that the wind from the car is not going to do that you see the mother then said son that wasn't the wind from the car I sensed an alarm in my spirit I sensed danger and I prayed this morning and I knew there was a, a tragic situation that was let's say possibly could have been coming against our lives our family and so I prayed that was the hand of the Lord that picked you up and moved you out of the path of that car it was the wind of his spirit that removed you. That's what you sensed. That's what you felt. Literally was picked up, bodily picked up and thrown backwards and fell on the, out on the ground by the power of God as he was about to step into the path of a speeding car. So that's averting trouble. How many of you can see that? And you know that a trick of Satan would be to make us think that because you're a Christian and you pray a simple, quick little prayer, it's okay. But see, that's a trick of Satan. We've got to be mindful of the fact that as long as we're living in these bodies, we can be tempted and we can be victimized by the snares of Satan. It's our duty and responsibility before God to look to Him in prayer and believe that He will do what? He will deliver us in the time of evil and protect us in times of temptation. That's our responsibility to do that. And if we'll do that, we'll be successful in our prayer lives. How many remember when Elisha was told by God what the king of Syria was wanting to do to the Israelites as he planned out a strategy to uh, destroy them in battle through a sneak attack? And the king discovered that the Israelites were warned and had no idea after three times how the king of Israel was warned. And finally, he said to his own company of men, who is for the king of Israel? And one of the servants said, O king, none of us. But Elisha the prophet knows what you say in your bedchambers because God tells him while you're speaking. And see, what, the, what he was doing was praying for the safety and the protection of the Israeli people. And God gave him the revelation and the, the trouble was averted. 
It's better to avert the trouble than it is to get in the trouble and expect God to rescue us. Amen. And that's the kind of prayer life God wants us all to develop. Somebody say amen. amen. And then conclude with, for thine is the kingdom and power and glory forever. You know why he wants us to conclude that way? Because he wants us to always be mindful of the fact that it all has to do with his kingdom. It all has to do with his power. And it all has to do for his glory. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Without your kingdom alive in me, without your power operative in my life and your glory, I have nothing and I can do nothing. But thanks be unto God that it's your kingdom, your power, and your glory that's operative in my life. And as a result, praise God, I know I can have success in this life. Amen. Let's stand together before the Lord. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.